we can change the world. We really can. But we need each other's help. The world needs less violence. Road rage, anger in the office or workplaces. There's a lot of things done and said on a daily basis that hurts other people. A lot of criticism. But you know, today and tomorrow, this next week, you and I can be that change at all of those places. We can change the world. The world needs more smiles. It's really not that difficult, is it, to walk down a hallway or into an elevator or through a room and simply smile at others? Clerks can smile at customers. Customers can smile at clerks. And it's interesting how it's almost simultaneous that that smile is returned. And usually positive gestures and a different atmosphere immediately is created. The world needs more smiles. And you and I can change that. The world needs more kindness. What if you and I remembered that everybody we serve this afternoon, everybody we meet, whether it's in a convenience store or on a street, everybody is created after the image of the Almighty God. They have a soul. They're valuable. Surely that would promote kindness in all that we did and all of our interaction with them. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, He did not begin a movement that would have no impact. Jesus came to this earth and He gave His life so that the world could be changed. Jesus came to this earth and gave His life so you and I can be a part of the movement that changes the world. Peter reaching up and grabbing the sword was corrected because the Lord never meant for us to change the world by force. We never use violence. We never use a sword or a gun to change the world in the Lord's movement. In the Lord's movement, to find a word that is maybe a little more contemporary, the Lord expects it to be a grassroots movement. He expects me to get up today and live the Christian life and allow that to influence the world. And He expects you to get up today and live the Christian life. And that influences the world. And again, I want to remind you, the Lord did not give His life on the cross for this movement because it was powerless. Friends, I believe with all of my heart, the Christians that worship here can change Mount Juliet, Tennessee. You can change your communities and you can change your world. That's one reason why we're doing the We Are the Sermon Day, where we literally take all that the Lord has taught us to be and has taught us to do and we go out as as a group, and we strive to do that, to encourage each other to continue to do that on a daily basis, but to show the world the love that is about us. And as we think about this wonderful fall focus of, of, the, of studying the life of Jesus, 
and growing spiritually and achieving a spiritual greatness or a spiritual growth in our life. How appropriate it is for us this morning in your Bible classes to study the Sermon on the Mount. To study the life of Jesus, we must study this tremendous sermon that Jesus preached. And tonight we'll study this lesson even more as a broad topic of the sermon. But for this morning, I'd like for us to notice the text that was read. How as we read there in 13 and in 14, he begins each time with emphatically saying, You... You are the salt of the earth. And he says, you are the light of the world. Notice it is in passages like this all the way through the Sermon on the Mount that the Lord has no problem saying it's kind of like a we versus them. He has no problem saying we're different from the world. Now I know that is very unpopular today in even the religious circles. There's a lot being said and written and done today in the name of religion, in the name of Christianity to say we need to be as much like our culture as possible so that we will be appealing to culture. And that's why you pick up even religious books today written by individuals that call themselves leaders of their church and they're cursing in the Bible lesson they're teaching. And you could ask them, why, why do you use language like that that should be offensive to Christians? Number one, they'll say, you Pharisee, lighten up a little bit. Now keep in mind, a Pharisee is not someone who obeyed the law of God. It's someone who created their own law in strictness beyond God's law. But they'll begin by saying, you Pharisee, lighten up a little bit. Don't you know that if if we use some of the world's language, we can better reach the world for Christ? It should be noted that you'll never find the apostles using vulgar or offensive language. You'll never find Jesus using an offensive word. You'll never find Jesus or the apostles doing anything to mimic the world that would be against the cause of Christ. As a matter of fact, what we'll find on the other hand is we will find Jesus in this sermon and in His life and the apostles in their teachings and in their life having no problem saying, it is us and it is them. We don't think like they think. We don't talk like they talk. We don't act like they act. We are not on the same path that they are on. We have a different destination that they have. We have a different purpose in our life than they have. And friends, this morning, I hope one of the simple pleas that we can make and that we can leave here believing from the Word of God is that it is a good thing to be in opposition to the world. It is a good thing when someone says, Wow! You're not anything like us. And it should raise a red flag whenever I have friends and co-workers and neighbors that are in the depths of the world and think that we and them are a lot alike. Let's notice some of this language here. Look, if you will, in the fifth chapter. And and we don't have slides for these. If you have your Bible open, around 852 and 3 in the Bible that's in your pew. But, But notice some of this language in the fifth chapter. 
for example, in verse 11, and we can do this all the way through. I just want you to see some, some uh, various points as we go through just an overview real quick. Look in, in the fifth chapter in verse 11 and see if Jesus was trying to say, hey, you are so much like your culture if you're a disciple of mine. No, he doesn't say that. He says, blessed are you when they, see the you and they language? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, is there any difference in us in the world? And Jesus cannot get more than just a few verses into this sermon before he says, is there a difference? Do you realize there's such a difference that they are going to bring bodily harm into your life because they don't like you? That's how big the difference is. And so I want to talk to you about the reward you're going to have because of what they do to you. Or notice as, if you will, in the sixth chapter, still the same sermon, Notice in the 6th chapter, in verse 2, here's where he's dealing with motives and why we would do good deeds. Which, by the way, the text that has been read this morning about being a salt and a light in the world, some have tried to figure out and and put this passage that we're about to read in the 6th chapter beside it and say there's a contradiction here. Because you see in the 6th chapter, verses 1, 2, and 3, teaches that we don't do our deeds to be seen of men. But yet in Matthew the 5th chapter in 13 and 14 and 15, he's teaching that we do our deeds to be seen of men. But notice, each has good deeds taking place and each will have others seeing those good deeds. But the difference in the two passages is the motive. In the 6th chapter, the motive was for the people themselves to receive the glory. And he says, that's not why you do good deeds. And the teachings in 13, 14, and 15 is that we do the good deeds because we're children of God, because we're servants of God. That's why we do the good deeds. And we want people to also become children of God and servants of God. So we want them to glorify the Father which is in heaven. But notice the the we and them here, or the you and they in verse 2. Therefore, when When you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites. So now he's talking about those who are hypocrites and it's you and the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Again, the Lord says, look, there's going to be those that even call themselves religious people and they, they are not what you are supposed to be. There's supposed to be a big difference in a religious hypocrite than you. And along this same writing here in the sixth chapter where he talks about our motive for why we would do good deeds, our motive for why we would pray and why we would fast. He also here in verse eight, he has uh, two sentences in verse eight. I'd like for us to just notice this first sentence. Therefore, do not be like them. Let that sink in. Therefore, do not be like them. Well, I just think if we're more like these people that that we'd have a better odds of reaching them. No. That's never been the case with Christianity. It's not that we see how much we can be like sinners so that we could influence sinners to have a love of righteousness. Think about how foolish that sounds. 
I want to be as much like sinners as I can be so that I can encourage them to a life of righteousness. How would that? It's not even logical. But yet that literally is the religious argument that's taking place today. And it was one that was most offensive to Jesus Christ. Just to see it one more time, look in the seventh chapter. We'll just pull one time out of each of these chapters. Look at the seventh chapter. And now he's going to talk about false teachers and false prophets. Look in the seventh chapter in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So see again, he says, look, there are going to be those that teach and preach the wrong thing. That is them. That is they. You don't be like that. They are going to be hypocritical. They're going to dress up like they're sheep, but the truth is they're wolves. You be a sheep. So what is the lesson that the Lord wants us to learn from this? Number one this morning, let's learn this as we go to the next slide. You are Saul. That's exactly the way he begins the passage in verse 13, Matthew the 5th chapter. You are, but notice, it's not just any kind of salt, it says salt of the earth. Just like in the next verse when he says you are light, it's not just light just anywhere, he says you're light of the world. You see, each time the Lord is saying this is what I want you to be so that you can have an impact upon the world. The Lord is teaching us here the importance of contact. Now what is salt? We understand that, that salt adds or enhances flavor. In other words, brings out the best, if you will. And not as perhaps well-known today, but back in biblical times, it would have been even more important and even better known, and and that is that salt preserves. Um, You know, any that have ever used salt to cure uh, meat, you understand that that if you left that meat out without salt, that, that it would decay, it would rotten. But yet you can take salt and add to that meat and it is actually preserved. And, and I, I admit to you, that's something from the time I was a little boy growing up on the farm and, and seeing hams cured. Every year we did it, I would go through the same drill of asking my dad and my grandfathers the same questions. I don't understand this. And I wasn't trying to be, you know, that kid that gets on your nerves asking questions. It was just that every year I, was, I don't understand how this works. How can you put salt in in this meat and over this meat and then come back and leave it out the rest of the year? I, I don't understand that. Well, the best answer can be this. God designed it that way. And you know what He designed Christians to be? Salt. You take any Christian influence out of the world... And the world is on a fast track of decay. If you took the state of Tennessee, if you took the town of Mount Juliet, and you took every Christian and every influence of Christianity out of this place, do you realize how quickly this would become a different place to live? I hope you and I realize the responsibility that we have to be a salt to this earth. And the only way we can be a salt to this earth is to come into contact with the earth. That's why we're leaving the building. That's why when we think about our Christian life, we leave here to live, to allow that salt, to allow that light to benefit the world about us. Look over just a few pages. We don't have a slide for it, but look over just a few pages in Matthew the 13th chapter. 
In Matthew, the 13th chapter, we have a very short parable that reminds me of this necessity of of contact. Look in the, the 13th chapter in verse 33. Another parable, he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. Do you realize when he talks about salt of the earth and how are we supposed to have an impact on the earth unless we have contact with the earth? We talk here about leaven. What, what good does leaven do if it's on a shelf in the, in the kitchen and on the table is the dough? You say, well, there would be no benefit whatsoever. But you take that leaven and you put it in contact with the dough and what happens? A little leaven in contact has an effect on the entire bowl of dough. Why is Jesus teaching us these things? He's teaching us that, yes, we are not to be the world, but we are to be in the world or a part of the contact that helps preserve this world, that helps them see the good of God and want to glorify God. But he also says here what we are not to be. Do you see, uh, going back to Matthew 5 and 13, there's that warning, if the salt loses its flavor. You see, that is when salt loses its distinctiveness. In the original uh, language there, it's literally pointing out to when salt becomes insipid. And it's when, from a point of application, it becomes foolish or no longer distinctive from that which is around. And, and that's my fear of what is happening so much in religion today. And, and I'm afraid that our religious culture around us will have an impact upon the church And we need to realize that our religious culture around us is becoming very comfortable with the fact that the the, uh, Christians are no longer distinctive. In other words, what good is salt if it can no longer cure, if it can no longer preserve, if it can no longer purify? If, if it no longer enhances flavor, what good is salt for? Well, then it's just some kind of little grain that here Jesus says you might as well throw it out on the pathway and use it to trample on or to walk upon. And so the plea is look what we are, but don't forget what we are. Let's be that. Let's not lose that distinctiveness. Sinclair Ferguson said about this very fact, Cease to be different, and we cease to be Christians. How slow we often are to learn this lesson. At times, we fall into the trap of being blackmailed by a world that says, unless I find your life attractive on my own terms, I'll not respond to the message of the gospel. But if we yield at that point, we become prisoners of perpetual blackmail. I have sometimes heard Christians speak to people in these terms. You mustn't think being a Christian takes away our fun. I can enjoy doing the same things you do. Being a Christian isn't a series of don'ts. And then he continues, Much of this may be true, but why should the church be so concerned to tell the world that it is not really very different from the world? Note this statement. The church then becomes both powerless and pointless. Isn't that so true? Where is the power? 
The power is in God. The power is not in us without God. Where's the power? The power is in the gospel. It is the power to save. Friends, you separate us and our lives from the power of God. In other words, you say, oh, I want to be as much like the world because the world doesn't have saving power. The world doesn't have a power of righteousness and a standard of righteousness. The world doesn't have the power to say, I have the hope of eternal life. The world doesn't have the power to say that, that I know that all things can work together for good for them. It's only for those that love the Lord. Do you realize all of these truths and all of these principles, they're all powerful, but it's powerful only for those who are drawing from God. Now, I don't say this with any joy in, in reference to, to the aspect of souls, but, but please think about this this morning. The world has no power. The world will not save one soul. The world will not make one stand for enduring righteousness. The world is hopeless. Why is it that we as Christians are so tempted to say, Oh, we're not really that different from you. Friends, we can't believe that lie. We must be different, not because of our own righteousness but because of the righteousness of God. As Sinclair says, if I claim I'm not that different, the church has no power, and the church becomes pointless. Why should I leave a world to enter into an organized religion that claims to be the very same thing as the world? The Lord did not invite us into a kinship, a sister of the world. The Lord invited us into something that is radically different. And to bring this lesson to a close, and and Jeff, we'll skip a lot of slides here. Go down, if you will, to where it says, a city cannot be hid on a hill. I'd like for you to look down in your Bible to verse 14. You are the light of the world. And, and notice he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are a light. Light is just as distinctive as salt. You can't mix light and darkness together. It, light will always shine through. And so again, it's that, it's that same teaching, if you want to call it an argument. It's that same argument of, hey, you are going to be so different. You can't be hidden. Now, now think about this. Can you imagine trying to hide a city? Have you ever tried to hide something you didn't want people to see? I know when you were a child, you, you spilt something on the carpet one time and, and you tried to pull the rug over it. Or you've, you've tried to hide something. I know you have. Just think about for a moment something you've tried to hide. Now try to hide a city. And the Lord takes it a step further. Hide a city that's set on a hill. And now he's talking about it under the umbrella of light. So now put it at, at nighttime. At nighttime, you try to hide a city that's set on a hill, and we know that it really can't be done. That's what our Christian light, our Christian life is to be a light that is like that city that is setting on a hill. It is so distinct. It cannot be hidden. And it is in that that we see the very next teaching and, and look 
in verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Just like you can't, if we're really living the Christian life, be hid because it's like a city on a hill. It's also just coming from a negative angle. It's so bad to think, I'm going to light this lamp and I'm going to put a basket over it because I don't want anybody to see it. You know, God can see the future just as easily as we can look back and see the past. I want to tell you what I wonder. I have no proof in this. and You understand that. I'm just saying I wonder. I wonder if this passage, this verse, this exact verse we're studying right now, I wonder if Jesus did not state this speaking especially in reference to church buildings. You know, I'm thankful that we have a church building. Don't get me wrong. And I think there's a lot of blessings that come with this tool that God gives us to use to His service. But I think if there's any verse in the Bible that talks about the dangers of church buildings, this would be a danger. How easy is it for you to live the Christian life when you come under this roof? I would think most of us would agree it's pretty easy. But you know, the Lord didn't give us this building so that it could be a basket that we come and we really let our light shine bright when we're under this basket. But then when we go back to our home, our light's not so bright. We go back to our communities and our neighborhoods and our light isn't so bright. We go into the workplace on Monday and as one fellow said, Mondays are killing Christians because that light just isn't so bright there. Friends, if, if my concept is that, that some way this is the place to shine, and if I don't shine at other times, God's fine with that. Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not fine with that. He never designed the light to be hidden under a bushel or under a roof of a building. But He designed it so that we would go out and we would shine and we would do good deeds, which is the very next verse. And in those good deeds, others would see those good deeds and they would glorify the Father which is in heaven. Today, and as you know, every day, we are the sermon. We are the Lord's gospel lived out. And today we're going to go out and, and especially think about being the sermon today. And as we go out and, and we work, I want to encourage you to not get so wrapped up in the task at hand that you forget what really we're all about every day. And that's taking time to impact souls. Many of you will be around some older folks in, in Lebanon or even here and, and even in the Nashville area. I want to encourage you to slow down enough to love them, to see them, to serve them as a person so that when they walk out, they have spent time with someone who is Christ-like. They've seen the salt and they've seen the light and they glorify the Father which is in heaven. I want to change the world. 
That's why I'm a Christian. I hope that's why you're a Christian. I believe in the power of God's plan. And if the church at Mount Juliet ceased to exist tomorrow, and no one noticed or no one cared, surely we all would agree that we have failed miserably at God's plan. God's plan is for us to have an existence in this community that cannot go unnoticed for God's glory. May God bless us in that. This morning, if you're not a Christian, why not? Why not become a Christian and let your light so shine before me in every day to see the goodness that the Father has done for you? If you've not been immersed into Christ, why not this morning? Maybe you have and somewhere along the way you've stopped being salty. You've stopped being a light and you want to repent of that and you want to come back this morning and and give your life to God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.